Hello and welcome to May the River Be With You. I'm Mark River, your host, and today we'll be talking about music and culture. As you know, the Mississippi River is the driving force behind the blues, our economics, culture, and arts. Where Mother Earth heard the news, an old man river began to cry. Now, before I introduce this next guest, I have to tell a story on my road to the Delta. It was in the winter of 2012, right after the 2011 flood, and I found myself in the Delta working for Quapaw Canoe Company. I met a guy named Ellis Coleman, and he took me to Red's Juke Joint. And I met Red, and we watched the Super Bowl together. And I remember him telling me, you got to see this guy. I happened to see that person, and I was so overwhelmed by his musical style and how young and vigorous it was, and also how he created modern music out of old blues. So without notice, I'd like to introduce you to Lucia Spiller. Can't say you hurt me For the last time I said you hurt me, baby For the last time And if I let you hurt me again I'll go stone out my mind The day you left me, baby Cried so hard I couldn't see The day you left me Cried so hard I couldn't see I thought I had a love forever but she made a big fool out of me singing this song I said you hurt me 
time I said you hurt me, baby For the last time Yeah And if I let you hurt me again I'll go stone out my mind Welcome back to May the River Be With You, and we are with Lucius Spiller. I'm going to ask him a few questions to find out what was his road to the blues. Tell me this, Lucius, uh, where were you born and where have you lived throughout your path on the blues trail? Well, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Went to high, through, all through high school, and then, uh, when I graduated from high school, I went to college over in uh, Arkansas, so I pretty much spent most of my adult life. Just recently moved here to Clarksdale. It'd be three years about at Christmas time, and um, here I am. 
Yes, we're glad you're here, my man. So tell me, uh, where did you go? The where did you go to high school in St. Louis, and where did you go to college? Well, I grew up at it was like a suburb of St. Louis called University City. So I went to University City Senior High School, which actually um, Tennessee Williams was a graduate of the same high school, not the same time I was there. Uh, and I went to college over in uh, this historic black college in uh, Arkansas called Philander Smith. It's one of the oldest ones that's been around and. Pretty much that's where I started playing music professionally over in uh, Arkansas because growing up in St. Louis, I was just playing uh, in the bands at school. Matter of fact, I was like the leader of the drum line. I was a percussionist. I wasn't on guitar or singing. And uh, well, I did have a lead role in the spring musical in my senior year. We did the Wiz. We were like the first high school to do it off Broadway. And, uh, I had the role of the Wizard. I started playing, I guess you would say, uh, music professionally for a living over there in uh, my college days. Started a band. Like I say, one semester, I called my mom and told her that I was getting ready to drop out of college. And and play music, and she said, no, you pack your stuff now, because we're on our way to get you. <laughs> no. But after they came down and heard me play, I guess they must have faith in me, because um, growing up, I always had little basement bands, and uh, I guess we were pretty good for our age back then, 7th and 8th grade. But as far as playing out in public in St. Louis, like a bunch of my classmates are clueless to what, you know, what I do. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's funny you say uh, University City because I went to the Riverview Gardens and we played against them in basketball and stuff like that. And also Nelly's from uh, University City. He went to school there. So, you know, yeah. there's some music coming out of there. And uh, I remember, what was it, Little Rock, Arkansas, and I seen your name on a sign outside of a restaurant that you were playing at. And that was the second time I'd seen your name. And I couldn't believe that I was in uh, Little Rock at the time. And I noticed on the sign that the next day you you had played the day before, so I was a little bit disappointed. But what made you leave Little Rock and come all the way to Clarksdale, Mississippi? Well, I'd already been uh, playing with uh, a guy uh, out of Clarksdale. I was, like, traveling back and forth. Big Jack Johnson from Big Jack Johnson and uh, Oilers. He used to be with uh, Frank Frost and the Jelly Roll Kings back in the day, and him and Sam Carr. Musical opportunities, you know. Clarksdale is pretty much the epicenter for the world for the blues because uh, we have, like, people from all over the world on any given day here for the music and um i'm a music man god has blessed me with uh, this gift i like sharing with the world that's beautiful man you do have a gift man and uh, you've definitely been sharing it with all of us in clarksdale i always tell people my friends from st louis and kansas city and chicago that you're the next big one besides uh, gary clark jr i think you'd be right up there with him if you can get the right people behind you because you, your your music resonates uh, throughout me whenever i see you play so how did you run into Big Jack Johnson? Uh, a good friend uh, of mine, uh, this guitar player named uh, Jess Hoggard out of Arkansas. He was playing guitar with Big Jack. They, uh, I guess the bass player had, that was playing with Big Jack and him, he had uh, did something to his hand. And uh, he said, yeah, we need you to come play bass with us. And it was about a week out touring. And on the last uh, show with Big Jack, his agent came up and said, man, thanks for filling in. And I looked at him like, 
fill it in. You know, I thought this was a land of the gig, and then some big jacks stepped up and said, yeah, I want, he used to call me Luther. I want Luther on that bed. I want Luther. I don't want that other boy no more. So that's how I pretty much ended up being with Big Jack. That's beautiful, man. I've always heard things about Big Jack. I never got a chance to see him play, but, you know, Red tells me stories about how they used to run through all the juke joints throughout the hill country and how Big Jack, if he wasn't playing music, he was on the river fishing. Yeah. <laughs> I always think that somehow, some way in the near future, that we can get you out there and get you to play. I think if, if I got you out there on an island in the middle of the Mississippi River, I think you might come back with all types of stuff, man. So, hey. Mosquito bites? No. Yeah, you get a few bite, of those. No. You'll get a few of those. <laughs> but hey, I just want to say thank you for coming and play for us, man. And I want you to keep up the good work and keep doing what you're doing and keep modernizing the blues because, you know, the younger generation, they got to hear that note in order to get attached to it and we need to keep it going. Yeah, we got to. So thanks, Lucius. You're welcome. Welcome back to May the River Be With You. And we've been sitting here talking with Lucius Spiller. And before we let him go, Lucius, give me a river story. Yeah, well, being from St. Louis, um, you know, the mighty Mississippi rolls right through there. When we got, like I was saying, my dad, Big Lucius, uh, this is what they used to call him. I was a little Lucius because I'm this junior. And, uh, you know, he's a country boy. His family is from down, the spillers are down from Knoxville County, Macon, Mississippi. And uh, still was a good old country boy, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, out running the dogs in the summer, keeping them fit. And uh, we used to roll, you know, roll with him. So he used to, like, uh, uh, go fishing and stuff. So this time we were up. Uh, up above St. Louis on the river, uh, at the Chain of Rocks Bridge. Out there, uh, sandbar just was like pretty tall, and you could walk out there pretty far in the water. And um, he was out there running dogs and doing a little, had his pole in the water. And uh, me and my little brother, we was always running, ripping, running, throwing rocks <laughs> in the water. I can always remember him saying, hey, Quit making all that noise. Go down there before you're scaring the bitch away, you know. So, like I say, uh, so we used to uh, take uh, day excursions on. They had a boat in St. Louis called the SS Admiral. Like in one part, they had like a inside ballroom. They would always have like a kind of a big band playing. It would be doing the hokey pokey and all this stuff. And uh, just remember those days going down there riding Admiral someday, you know, picnicking on it, you know, taking picnic basket and um I was uh, I had the opportunity to grow up in St. Louis also, man, and I remember doing the hokey pokey on the Admiral. <laughs> you know, the Admiral was the in field the trip. <laughs> it was the field trip of the year when you got a chance to go to the Admiral. It was a special day. Well, thank you, Lucius, man, and I hope you continue to grow, brother, and uh, may the river be with you. Thank you. Hey there, River Rats. Do you have a Mississippi River story to share? Text the words, my story, to 662-235-9346 to get started. And remember, may the river be with you. This is Mark River, and may the river be with you. Today on Reflections, I have a piece that I wrote on the Mississippi River called Beavers and Willows. 
It was a glorious morning in the Delta and the Sunflower River had finally started its decline after many consecutive inches of rain pushed by Hurricane Rita. The Mississippi River is still flooding and we were headed to paddle in the canopy of the willows watching and listening to migratory songbirds. When we run upon a traffic jam on the main road out of town, adjacent to a distributary of the Sunflower River, a mother beaver transporting baby offspring from her high water home back to the original lodge. She was patient and didn't panic at all as onlookers in amazement root her on on her quest to get her babies to safety. You can see the anxiety in the baby's eyes, wondering why mom was taking such a chance. She held them by the back of their neck with gentle grip, making sure her long, forever growing teeth didn't puncture her precious skin. It immediately made me think of my deceased mother and envied a lucky baby to have its mother. It was a lesson in trust and her instinct drove her to do what's best for her offspring. The people in vehicles cheered her on while kids pointed and screamed at this experience of a lifetime. The story goes she took them one by one and the father crossed last. I've been watching these incredible animals closely for eight years, slowly learning their habits in engineering, farming, wetland creation, and forestry. In our society, beavers were very underrated. Infrastructure and navigational wing dams along the river, diverting water into the channel, created magnificent sandbars with willow forests growing along the yearly deposit sand. Willow cambia, which lies between the bark and the tree, is the favorite food of beavers along the lower Mississippi River. With tons of sand and silt not making it to the Gulf of Mexico, beavers and willows are thriving more than ever. I take walks through the now dry forest on the islands of the river. Tall willows with sand at their trunks create beautiful camping. The palm-like trees towering high swaying in the wind, creating shade all day during the hot summer days of the Delta. I can tell how high the water got by the explosion of roots in the canopy of the trees. Some have jagged beaver cuts, letting me know the beaver compromised it during the flood. They feel safer than ever during high water, being able to eat from the water, building huge lodges anchored to large uprooted trees trapped between the tall willows. They also build platforms on top of their homes so they can nap during the day between feedings surrounded by water for safety. During medium water, they burrow underneath root balls of big old sycamores, willows, and cottonwoods that have been exposed by erosion along the muddy cliff banks. They will have garden of willows along the lower end of the sandbar where they harvest willow and swim back to the lodge. You can see the striations in the sand every morning where they have dragged branches into the water. During this level, they also drop large old willows into the river. Food for the winter. The following spring, the base of the trees will sprout eight to 12 fresh saplings. Talking about farm to table. Low water is the scariest time for beavers. There is no efficient way through their gardens causing them to risk their lives on land. They are not the most athletic on land, so they are vulnerable to predators. Unfortunately, these are the times we find beaver skulls. Some get lucky and find a home in the back channel, but with a healthy population, first come, first serve. One of my favorite encounters with beavers was when Quapaw Canoe Company were conducting exploratory trips along the river for rivergator.org. We were camped outside of Memphis on the Sandbar Peninsula with the river across and a channel behind. It was late evening when I arrived and I chose a small hump of sand closer to the back channel. I failed to notice the piles of decayed leaves and small branches near my tent. Before I realized it, it was a beaver scent mound, I had urinated on it and it was a mistake. The owner of this structure protested outside my tent by smashing his tail whenever I moved or made a sound. 
The battle lasted throughout the night. It had my scent and was ready for a territorial dispute. That morning around 6 a.m., nature called, and I head up the bluff on the back channel to find some privacy. The beaver emerges out of nowhere, swimming alongside of me as I walk the bluff, smashing and picking a fight. To make it worse, it brought reinforcements. A baby beaver taking lessons in tail smashing mimicked every move with this young, small tail. It was an epic natural experience to witness in the wild, so I took it all in and retreated to the woods in defeat. Mark River. Welcome back to May the River Be With You, and we have a special, special song we're going to hear. This is Megan Mike, Lay It On The Line. in 
is it better to keep it close this time? It's hot over here. I'm sweating from Hello and welcome to May the River Be With You. I'm Mark River and today my co-host and I, Charles Coleman, will be talking to Megan Mike about music in the Mississippi Delta. How are you, Megan? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. It's really exciting. I've listened to both episodes and I love this podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Right on. All right on. Well, Megan, uh, how long have you been in the Delta and uh, how has it influenced your music? Uh, I've been here, I've lived here for about six and a half years, and uh, it's definitely upped my, um, my writing and recording. I've, I've written a lot more here than I ever have anywhere else in my entire life. Uh, I think it's the wide open spaces and just the openness, the stillness. It just really inspires me to create and write and be a little more prolific and proactive in my creative process. Well, tell me this. Has the Mississippi River maybe given you a different approach to writing or more material? Um, the Mississippi River definitely, I mean, it figures into one of my songs. It's just the, the immensity, the enormity of it, the power of it. It really does seem to radiate further than just the river itself. It really is steeped into the people in the Delta. And I think we all have that pull from the river. That really is a great metaphor for so many things in life. And so I took to the river in one of my songs just because it was the only way that I could really express the enormity of the emotion of the situation. So, yeah, I kind of leaned on the Mississippi River to help me as a writing tool, really. That's wonderful because uh, I get the same feelings when I'm on the river. When I'm on land, it's kind of tough to write, but when I get out there, it, it kind of puts everything in line. So that's wonderful. And, you know, when I listen to your music, I hear folk, I hear blues, I hear soul, I hear country, and I hear a little Appalachia. Now, you being from Australia, mm -hmm. uh, where'd you get all that, that, that <laughs> diversity? Diversity is right. I mean, I grew up in Canada on Vancouver Island, and so I grew up on the water. My mom was a folk musician, so I was just always around music. And then I moved to Australia, which is a really different landscape. I've lived in places where the landscape really informs the people and informs the music. And I think that folk music and country music and Appalachian music and, it, and bluegrass, and it's all coming from the same space. It's all genres of music that are really connected to the land. And so I think that that really works its way into the music that I write anyway. I get really kind of magnetically drawn to wherever my feet are. And before here, that was Australia. And before that, it was Montreal. And before that, it was Vancouver. <laughs> wow, that's wonderful. Uh, I was always thinking that you were one of those Canadians that were from the uh, eastern side, but I had no idea you were from Vancouver. Yeah. You know? That's a really well, uh, beautiful Well, I moved to spot. Montreal uh, when I was 21, but I grew up uh, on the west coast, and so I was in the creeks, in the lakes, in the ocean. You know, water was everywhere, literally. I grew up on an island, so. With that being said, how has moving to the Delta changed you? Well, I think that living in the Delta has 
had a huge impact on my life and for the most part in a really positive way. Everything that I've learned up until this point in my life I've been able to put into practice in the Delta. There's a lot of need in the Delta and so I feel a huge sense of purpose here. I feel so involved in the community and that means so much to me to be able to find a place to belong and to contribute to. I've been able to take a lot more chances. I've been able to try new things. I've had more firsts in in the Mississippi Delta than, than I've ever had the courage to undertake anywhere else. So I'm really grateful to, to this place because it's allowed me to grow in so many new ways. What direction do you think the Mississippi Delta music is going to go into in the future? That's a big one. That's a huge question. Of course, we don't really know, do we? I mean, it's changing a lot, you know, as the old guys are moving on. I'm really encouraged. I see a lot of young people coming through as tourists and a lot of young people who are really involved in blues music. I think that the tradition of blues music will carry on. It'll just kind of evolve as music does over time. But I think that the tradition itself will be maintained by the coming generations. I think it'll just change shape a little bit as it spreads into the world. Yeah. I would like to see the Delta music kind of get more of an alternative sound. Right. You know, I grew up in the 90s, you know, Same listening, here. Like, you know listening to stuff <laughs> like New Order and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, it'd be cool if we can come up with like a bluesy, folky kind of bluegrass kind of dance music, you know, something yeah. of that sort. Because, yeah. you know, the blues is great, but I, I kind of see it stagnant. You know, you don't see people uh, jumping, going into different directions. Well, uh, here, yeah. I think that because we listen to mostly traditional blues here, that's, you know, it's an older demographic. People come here for traditional blues. But if you go out into the world, I grew up in the 90s as well. And so when I was going to shows in the say early 2000s and we were listening to John Spencer's Blues Explosion and that was when I was in Montreal. That was a huge band on the alternative scene when I was coming up. So I think that there is a lot of blues influence in rock and alternative and I think that we will get more of the heavier, gritty, younger. I think we see that already with Deep Blues Fest and Goat Fest. We are getting a younger demographic and we're getting hungrier, grittier bands so it's pretty exciting and they're coming from all over the world so they are bringing their interpretations of blues music back to us and kind of repeating their impressions back to where it came from. So it is really exciting and encouraging and it's fresh and yeah. Well, that's wonderful. That makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is good to see fresh things, fresh people in the community. I want to just take a step back and understand what's your process like when you're in your mode, when you're writing music or when you're creating your art? It's a roller coaster, if I'm going to be totally honest. It's a little bit torturous. I think most creative people can identify where that, uh, you know, you have an idea and you think it's great and then you think it sucks and then you think you suck and then you're like wait a second this isn't so bad and then you come back around so I kind of jot down ideas here and there when they come to me or I think about what I want to talk about in a song and then uh, I sit down and 
intentionally start crafting. I take part in a, a really great workshop out at the Shack Up Inn, the Songs at the Shacks uh, workshop. It's in March and September for a week, twice a year. We sit down and just being out at the Shacks, again, it's out in nature, so there's not a whole lot of interruptions. And you just have the time to sit and sit with your thoughts and kind of work on it and do some fast writing exercises and see what you can pull out. And then I usually <laughs> lock myself in a little room until something comes out (laughs) and I believe just as anybody else would think that nature brings that pureness out of any artist how many times do you go out on the river (laughs) this is actually really embarrassing but I've never been out onto the Mississippi River in a canoe just hint, hint, guys. Somebody take me out there. Good. We should get you, get uh, you out there next time. I sit by the river. I sit and watch it go by all the time. And it really is inspiring. And it really makes me want to sing. I've brought my guitar out to the Mississippi, out to Friars Point, and just sat there on the riverbank and played music, actually, with my cousin who was visiting. It was his first time in the Delta. And he was just bowled over. Just, again, that he really tapped into that, that immensity and that power. And so we just sat there and played music by the river when you're out on the river what's your go-to or when you're sitting by the river what's something that you look forward to seeing out in nature that makes you happy all the time i don't know i think it's just the water itself and the flow of the water it mimics kind of the flow of energy in us and through us and it just connects us to the rest of the universe really and and so it's just the flow of water it's simultaneously simultaneously stirring things within you and also letting them go. And it's really cathartic, kind of allows you to flow out your idea. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, Megan, you don't have to feel bad about not being exactly on the river. I mean, the fact that you go out there and sit next to it, you get just as much out of it. Uh, There's a lot of people that don't go on the river, but they go every day just to feel it. Mm -hmm. And the, the moving water keeps your mind and your body, you know, moving forward and not staying stagnant. And that's what makes it fresh. I'm really glad that you came to talk to us today. And when I dreamed up this podcast, you know, I was dreaming about lay it on the line. <laughs> and um, and uh, we're just so happy you were here. And uh, hopefully that you'll come back some other time. I will. And uh, hopefully you enjoy the Sunflower Music Festival this weekend. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I want to thank you guys for having me here. I love podcasts and listening to them. And it's really an honor to be here with you guys talking about the river. And thank you so much. And as we always say, may the river be with you. Howdy, howdy, everybody. This is John Rusky, and we're going on River Time. The Mississippi is the longest and narrowest wilderness in America. It is the only wilderness that is found on the doorstep of major cities, Memphis, New Orleans, St. Louis. Within minutes of putting in your canoe, you can be surrounded by woods and water, as provocative as any in the world. To enter it is as easy as sitting on the bank and watching the river flow. Roll up your pants and swish your feet in her waters. If you want to go deeper, get in a canoe and paddle for a day. Envelop yourself in a landscape that feels as far away as the desert wilderness or the highest mountains. E.O. Wilson proposes that we set aside half the earth to save the earth. In other words, the earth creatures depend on space to maintain their diversity and health. While this would be impossible to do in the Mississippi Valley, 
We can help the tattered long landscape already intact by protecting as much of the wildlands as we can, and especially the lowlands that already get inundated by periodic floodwaters. The long landscape of the Mississippi could possibly someday connect the longleaf pine belt to the south with the great north woods. The north woods could connect to the Canadian Alaska taiga, which is one of the major pieces in half earth. This program is brought to you by One Mississippi. Can the river count on you? Clarksdale Revitalization Initiative, investing in the strength of downtown Clarksdale. Quapaw Canoe Company, engaging all walks of life to the Mississippi River. Book your trip today by going on www.island63.com and start planning your next adventure. Cahoma Collective is a new nonprofit with a mission to catalyze arts-driven, community-inclusive revitalization in downtown Clarksdale, Mississippi. It sponsored the opening of Collective Seed and Supply, the artist-owned and operated garden center and general store, and it also developed and opened the new 20-room Traveler's Hotel. Look for Collective Seed and Supply and Traveler's Hotel on social media. This show is hosted by Mark River and Charles Coleman. Produced by John Rusky, Mark River, and Charles Coleman. And audio engineered by Coop Cooper and directed by Coop Cooper. Music by John Rusky and Rivertime segment by John Rusky. Mm-hmm.